0: just right for the individual that I was calling and giving this gift to, and, and sometimes I would make these name tags, they were homemade, and sometimes I would make the bow that would that would go on them. I didn't like every package to look the same, so I wrapped each one uniquely. Now, I have to give you a disclaimer. Age and life I don't do that anymore. <laughs> but at one point in my life I did and when I was asked why do you spend so much time wrapping the gift when you know that on, on Sunday or on Christmas morning they're going to go zip and they're going to be all over. The bows will be lost, the name tags will be lost among all of the paper wrappings. I thought about that a lot. I think it has to do with the time and care of that outward appearance of the gift reflected that inward depth and love that I had for that individual, for that person, right? So it became for me my Christmas love language. During our Advent worship series, we've entitled it "Company's Coming. And I think it is appropriate that we call it that this year. Because we need company more than we've ever needed it in the past, it seems, and yet we all recognize that we might not have the company that we have gone accustomed to this year. Many of the traditions that we will that we love and look forward to will not happen because of the situation of our world. So it is even more important that we begin to anticipate The company of Jesus in the midst of our messy world. It does seem that our world is getting messier and messier out there. There's plenty of disheartening news to go around lately. And we wonder when it will end, how much more we can take. We begin to become lethargic about the news, we even become skeptical about the news. We hear about tired health care workers. I read this week that there was one doctor that had worked over 240 days straight, and he is not alone. We have learned that there's hope of a vaccine, but at the same time, there's some distrust of the vaccine. We, many of us have leaned into the hope of of an election and yet there are some of us who distrust the election. We we find ourselves having an ever more watchful eye on the COVID cases right here in Wise County because it's becoming closer and closer to us. We watch these to figure out how it's going to affect our local economy and how it might affect our Christmas Eve services. I know that that's forefront on my mind. We look for every possibility in this crazy messed up world of ours for us to find a sense of beauty and light in this world. I watched on the news as they did the stories, the traditional stories about Interlaken. It is a neighborhood in Arlington that people drive through to see all of the Christmas lights. The stories about radiance out here at our own Wise County uh, uh, fairgrounds and out at the Texas Motor Speedway, and they're saying that these events are even longer and longer lines. It's as if we want to get in our car, and for just a moment we want to put everything about our messy world aside, and we want to just be in the presence of light and beauty once again. Our Hebrew scripture this morning for the third Sunday of Advent, which was read at the candle this morning, and also a part of our call to worship, is a message of hope to God's people who were desperate. These people had lost everything, way more than we had. They were refugees in a foreign land. They were hungry. They were afraid. They had no rights whatsoever, They had lost every sense of status that they ever had. And so the Isaiah prophet cries out to them and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and God has asked me to tell you to start decorating. Well, that's not exactly what the Hebrew Scriptures say, but kind of like that. It says, God has anointed me to bring good news to the oppressed to bind up the brokenhearted, to give them garland instead of ashes and oil instead of mourning. God tells desperate people to fill their hearts and their souls with hope instead of despair and shout that good news into the darkness in every way possible. Now, I'm an optimist, and I like to think about doing that, but sometimes that sounds a little bit too disingenuous. If we we face all of our difficult times with a Pollyanna kind of attitude, I wonder myself if I had been given a bucket of coal, what could I possibly find in that bucket of coal? Except when I think about that coal and the warmth that it might bring me or someone else. This week, I ran across a story that was profoundly impacted me about light. It was a story about a World War II resistance fighter that found himself a prisoner of war. And he was cast into this dark cell, one that was filled with darkness around the clock for days and days and weeks on end, until finally he didn't know what was day and what was night. Often the door would open up and and verbal abuse would be spewed at him, if not physical abuse. Sometimes there would be food, sometimes there would only be abuse. And just about the time that he was so desperate, so despairing, that he wondered if he might even breathe the next breath of life, the door opened again. From outside the door, there was verbal abuse spewing all over him in a language he did not understand, but he understood the tone, and then all of, a sudden, all of a sudden, something flew into that space and landed next to him on the floor, and the door slammed shut, total darkness again. So he reached out, and he felt for what hit the floor next to him, and it was a piece of bread, Hungry and starving, he ate like he had never eaten before on that piece of bread, only to find in the middle of that piece of bread a box of matches and a piece of paper. So he lit one match and read what was on that piece of paper. It said one word, courage. That was the light in the darkness for that man that day. My friend Holly faced cancer at age 42, an aggressive form of cancer that took her life in two short years. And there were times when she was desperate and she was angry at God. And yet, when the time came in her final days, she looked at it this way. She said, God gave me two beautiful years to say I love you in a way that I might not have been able to say, I love you, without this disease, every single day to the ones I love. That gave light in her darkness. That gave light in the darkness of her family and those who loved her. So in the face of desperation, we begin to decorate. We begin to deck the halls at Christmas time. Not because we're unaware of the difficulties around us, not because we're oblivious to the bad news, but because we choose to live by the good news. We choose to live by hope and not despair. And what keeps our decorating from becoming disingenuous, from becoming a pair of rose colored glasses, is the action that we take in the hope. The evangelist John knows all about bringing hope and light into the world. He opens his gospel with the words of light and hope. He introduces us to the first person on the scene, and it is not Jesus, it is John the Baptist. And I'd like to read with you this morning from John's gospel, the first chapter, verses 6 through 8, and let's learn about that light. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Then I didn't ask Peggy to put this up there, but I think it's important. He says... This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and the Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yes, John the Baptist is the first one on the scene. The first one. And yet it is not a gospel about John. And John so well teaches us what we need to know about this good news. uh, John says, I am not the light. He makes that plain and clear. And sometimes we need to be reminded that we are not, the the world doesn't revolve around us. We are not the light, right? Right? We need to be reminded that Christmas is not all about us. Christmas is about Jesus. That's who John the Baptist points to. He points beyond himself, and he points to the light that is to come into the world. He's preparing a way for the one who is to come. And he gets the people ready to receive Jesus. Boy, we could learn a lot about that. How do we get the people ready to receive Jesus on this Christmas morning? Do we use our staffs like the shepherds used this morning in children's time? Do we use them to help guide and direct people through their lives so that they so that we can walk beside them, whistling or shouting in the darkness and pulling them into the light that we find and that we help generate? The prophet and the evangelist are both shouting in the darkness this morning. They're shouting for us to stop everything that we're doing and to start decorating. Isaiah does it with garland and oil, and John the Baptist does it with water. So I began to think, how is it that we prepare people for Jesus? Well, I think we do it with our acts of love and service. So our World War II prisoner never found out who threw him that piece of bread in the darkness of his cell, but it was that very gift of light and words that kept him going for the rest of the war so that he could go home and see his family once again. So I thought, what are the pieces of bread that we can toss out into the dark cells of people's lives? It occurred to me that there's nothing like a note of encouragement. Right? That sense of somebody cares when we feel so desperate. So last week I talked about taking uh, care baskets to the hospital for our tired hospital workers. And Penny um, Holt is organizing some of that. If you'd like to be a part of it, I invite you to call her. But one of the things she found out is that they have a room there that hospital workers can go into. And in that room, they can just rest and relax. And what they enjoy, even as much as the snacks and the, and the drinks that reside there, is the notes of encouragement from the people in the community. So perhaps you could write a note of encouragement. Bring it up to the church office and we'll see that it gets to that room for our health care workers. Maybe you could write a, a note of encouragement for our staff. Our staff is dedicated during a time that is very difficult to do church ministry, I have to tell you. They have been committed, and they have been strong. And it would be wonderful if you would write them a note of encouragement. I think about, I'm going to embarrass Thomas, he's sitting right out there. All the days that we were not in this building, he still took care of the building. Lovingly coming up and making sure that everything was right. I think about our music people and how they've turned on a dime to present music in new and exciting ways so that we might continue to worship God in meaningful ways. I think about our office staff, Bonnie and Ann and Martin, who continue to make sure that every single donation is taken care of, handled with care. Because we love you, and because you love this church, we turn and make it real in the lives of people. I think about our communication staff who ensures that every single person knows to the best of our ability what's going on here, even when we're not gathering and bumping into each other in the halls. I think about Penny and Johnny who faithfully every single morning make sure on Sunday morning we have slides to sing from, that we have online so that people who cannot be with us can worship with us. A word of encouragement for any of those would be much appreciated and would be like sending a light into a dark place at times. And then I think perhaps it's just a prayer. This week we had LaHoma Cartwright's funeral, and one of the things her daughter shared with us is that in her final days, when she couldn't communicate anymore, it was the Lord's Prayer that gave her peace. And so they would recite the Lord's Prayer with her. Is there someone who needs your prayer today. And then I think about the times that people just sit in silent presence. There was a time in in the last year when I was in a particular dark moment, myself and a friend called me. I couldn't speak, I needed her help so much I was near tears, and I couldn't get the words out. And so she said so lovingly, can I ask you questions, or can I just sit and listen to you cry? That's silent presence, friends. How about a smile? How about a smile for that person behind the counter who is doing their best in the long lines at the grocery store or at the bank With people whose tempers are short, how about a smile and a thank you? These are the simple ways that we cast light into the darkness of people's cells. So we do this for our friends and for our neighbors, whether we know them or we don't know them. And when we do this, we choose to live the good news of the season. We choose not to take up the despair of the world. So let's prepare our hearts and let's prepare the neighborhood for the company that is coming at Christmas time. And in the words of Tom Beaudet, I am reminded of a Motel 6, you probably remember this. Let's leave the lights on. Thanks be to God. Amen. During this time of uh, COVID and not passing the plates, we uh, still, except our gifts. Our gifts become even more important, not only to the life of the church, but to each of us who give them. And so I invite you to visit the giving stations that are at the back of the sanctuary or go online to give your gifts or write a check and mail it to us. Each of these gifts will be blessed. Each of these gifts will be tenderly taken care of so that we might bring light into the darkest corners of the world. Will you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, we give you thanks that your generosity is way more full than we even acknowledge. And so as we return a portion of those blessings back to you, we ask your blessing upon it.